Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning. We're in our series titled Binge Worthy. Uh, A lot of things that are on television now are not necessarily binge worthy anymore. But the scripture has always been, it's just a question of whether we'll realize it and get into it and enjoy it. We're going to talk about builders today. Folks who had experienced a time where everything was taken away. Literally, they went into exile into a foreign country, a foreign language, and foreign gods. And that was Israel. They had been going along, doing their own thing. God had given them the land. He had given them a place to worship. And he kept telling them, guys, you need to do what I say. You need to follow my instructions, especially about leaving the land set aside and so forth. And they didn't. And they were sent into exile into Babylon. Well, the Babylonian Empire fell to the Persian Empire. And at some point, the Persian kings began to release the Jews, many of them, to go back into their own country. And in doing so, they went back on a mission to rebuild that which was tore down. And I can't help but making uh, connections here between what we've been going through here as a country and people around the world. There was a time when we were shut down as a church, and many of us had gone into exile, into homes, and some stayed and others returned. And that returning process is is a process whereby you're saying, I want to continue on with God. I don't want the status quo of just, I'm going to deconstruct my faith. Okay, that means you're going to stay at home and watch TV. I get it. But there were some who were living in Persia, in that kingdom, who said, look, we want to go back. We hear of the state of, of, of our country, and we want to rebuild. We need to rebuild. This is a promised land that God has given us. Because even though God gives us promises, right? <clears throat> They're great and wonderful, but they're not necessarily smooth, and everything is perfect all along the way. There's a lot of trouble, and there there has to be for us at some point this desire to continue on and receive the promises of God and make them a part of your life. And so it was with Ezra and Nehemiah. We're going to look at them today, builders. People who had been in exile, but yet their heart was still on the homeland. Their heart was where God's promises lie. Even though many of them were were flourishing in the Persian Empire away from the home, their heart was in another place. First, we look at the first six chapters of the book of Ezra. Uh, Ezra lets us know that after a time, probably from around 50 years or so, Uh, King Cyrus let them go back, and a key figure arises by the name of Zerubbabel. I'll read Ezra 1, 
beginning in verse 1. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fill the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah, the Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus, Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem in Judea, Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver, gold, with goods, livestock, free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. We'll stop there for a second. So, he also gave back the articles that were taken by uh, many of the articles by King Nebuchadnezzar. Because what had happened earlier on is that Nebuchadnezzar came in and they, the Neo-Babylonian Empire took over and they eventually razed the city, tore it down, destroyed the temple, and took all of the golden goods into Babylon. Something else was going on during that time that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had been divided after, the king, after King Solomon. I'm going to give you some Bible nerd stuff, so just bear with me. Now, the Assyrian Empire preceded the Babylonian Empire, which eventually we had the Persian Empire come after that. The Assyrian Empire took all of the people, and they assimilated them back together, and then they sent people from the northern kingdom along with other people back into Israel. But the problem was is that to the Israelites, they had spiritual cooties in the sense that God had called the Israelites to be separate from the nations, other nations who had worshipped other gods. And so they weren't to really intermarry or let that culture have such a strong effect on them. And that was one of their constant problems. And it's a problem for us today, isn't it? You don't want to be so separated that, well, you know, you're just hiding from the world. You don't want to be so separated that you're just crouching away and just holding on to your faith, but you have no effect on the world, so you have to be a part of the world. But, the, but then when, the more that you're a part of the world, the more that you can be transformed or changed by the world. And so it's, it's always a precarious line that believers walk in this world. So Ezra chapter 3, Zerubbabel's there, and they begin to rebuild the altar, that's first. The altar is where the sacrifices would take place. The temple foundation would come next. In the twelfth, seventh month, they came and the Israelites had settled in their towns. The people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings in accordance with what was written by the law of Moses, the man of God. Here's something to note. Despite their fear of the people around them, they built an altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both in the morning 
and the evenings. So here's, here's what happened. They went in and they first said, look, we got to get the worship going. And we have to do what we can, so we're going to rebuild the altar. The altar was gone. And the, the Temple of Solomon, though it was great and amazing, would not be what it eventually would be under Herod, Herod the Great. But they went in and they built the altar and they began the sacrifices morning and evening for the people. Okay, So the sacrifices were reinstalled and the priests were there to provide that. Then, Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, the temple and its foundations were built. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments, and with the trumpets, the Levites, the son of Asaph, and cymbals, they took places to praise the Lord as prescribed by King, da- King David of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. All the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple of Solomon wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish between the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made such a noise. Okay, here's, here's how this works. They're putting the thing back together for some who had never seen the temple at all. They had never been, had worship there. They were excited. This was new. But for those who had seen the former glory, they were like, what has happened to our temple? What has happened in our relationship with God? Even though they had come back into the land, there was so much work to do. Let me just tell you, folks, I have to to admit this, and I, I know that you can feel it. But as I talk to pastors in this town and around the country, as well as other believers, I, I find that there is a sense of feeling that somehow what we have gone through in almost the last two years, can you believe it's almost been two years? So quickly. Is, is a certain type of deconstruction of our faith. Right now, we have more people in this country who are questioning Uh, institutions, questioning things that have been held true for so long, and that's even within the church. The term deconstruction is is being heard by myself, read, listened to in podcasts, people who are once now checking, looking at their faith and saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm going through a process of deconstructing it. Everything seems to be up for grabs. So what does that mean for the rest? You can remember the days when everybody was just hurrying to get to church, when things were normal, when it seemed like, man, we got to get here early, get the good parking spots before all the selfish people get here. What's happening around us? Well, I think there are similarities that we can look at here. What they were doing was the right thing to do, right? to rebuild that which had been tore down, to once again continue the worship. However, it was not going to be easy at all. And so you'll have those who remember before and those who come along at the point of rebuilding. 
And the two both bring a perspective of what can happen. But there was promise of something good and promise of something new. And I want you to be encouraged by that. I was talking to a friend um, at lunch the other day. If you want to be my friend, just ask me to lunch. Uh, so, and you'll wind up in a sermon, I promise. But I was talking about just the high level of anxiety in our society. Any of you feel anxious at all? One person. Okay. The only person willing to tell the truth at church. All right. Good. But it is very high anxiety. In fact, I mean, goodness gracious, I, I pray for my family. I'll pray for you guys as well about just driving around in Albuquerque. No, I'm serious. I mean, let me give you a piece of advice here. This, usually I'm telling jokes. I'm going to tell you straight up. Don't look at any other driver in the eye. I'm serious. You just never know what's in there. And I'm telling you, people are packing guns and people are getting shot. And it's just, it's symptomatic of what's going on in our society right now. Okay? That is a really big thing. I want you guys to stay safe. But I said, he said, look, I'm kind of excited. And I said, why are you excited? Well, I mean, this person's a weirdo. But anyway, they said, I'm kind of excited. And he, he said, because it's an exciting time to be alive, because so many pieces of the puzzle, so many things are falling into place. And that, and in my mind, we're closer to seeing Jesus. And when we're closer to seeing Jesus, that means when Jesus gets here, he is going to rule the world, okay? And that's what we're looking forward to. And so I agree with my friend that I agree that this could be, if we look at it correctly, a very exciting time. We can moan and cry about wanting to go back to the way things were. Maybe they weren't that great. But where we are now, we, we stand at a place where we see God's hand moving in the world and we're closer to seeing God's reign. Three principal leaders here, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, and they did a great job. But at the end of this message today, and if you read through these books this week, and you should because they're binge-worthy, you find that there's still something lacking. There's, there's, a, there's a desire for a leader who can make everything complete, perfect, and all right. And that, my friend, is the promised Messiah, Jesus well, I'm not going to read this, but it's in Ezra chapter uh, 4, beginning the first four <clears throat> verses. You have a group of people who said, look, Zerubbabel, we want to help you rebuild the temple. This is a good thing. Here's the problem. Zerubbabel looks at him and says, look, King Cyrus told us that we could build this place. You have no part of it, okay? You didn't try to build it. I mean, he didn't say it, but you, you weren't trying to build it. He didn't tell you to do this, and so leave us alone. We will build it ourselves. Now, some have criticized these leaders by saying, look, why weren't you kind to these people? You probably could have helped them become a part of Israel, and they could be converts to Judaism. They could uh, see the light of God's glory in the world but you were separatist. Here was the problem. 
you had people living in the land, the land that God had promised them, who were worshiping other gods, who had different values, different languages, and to those who were who knew that God had called them to be a separate people, this was a problem. So what do they do? Do they become very legalistic and say, no, you can't help? Or do they become very open and tolerant? And they're like, look where that has got us throughout our history. And in fact, even later on, Nehemiah talks about this. He says, look, King Solomon is bright and is brilliant as the person that he was, and he built the temple, the temple that the glory of God came down into before all the people. This guy began to marry all these foreign wives, and it brought corruption into our, not that foreign wives bring corruption, but in the, it, you have to understand what he's talking about. He's saying that all of their cultures came in with it, and it began to dilute our culture and got us in trouble in the first place. That's the thin line that I'm talking about here that they were having to walk, and it's a thin line that we have to walk as well with the Lord, period. So, he says, no, you can't do it, forget it. Okay, fast forward over 40, 50, 60 years, you have another guy who shows up by the name of Ezra. Ezra is a priest. Ezra is a man of God who knows the Torah very well, and he hasn't come to build the temple, but rather he has come to build the community and building a culture. Verse 6 of chapter 7, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given the king, had granted him everything he asked for the hand of the Lord was his God was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, temple priests, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventieth year of King in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Okay. So what he did is he said, Look, we've got to do something here. We have all of these po- folks who have married strangers people who are not a part of Israel, people who are not, we would consider Jewish, who do not call upon this God. And the problem with that is, is that it is dishonoring to God and His rules and regulations in the land. So we've got to do something. So he tries to change a culture back or at least to a place that is suitable for God and and suitable for his people. So, what they did is that they, they said, look, you've married all of these different people. I, he was upset and abhorred by it. He said, God is as well. But then he says, look, we're not going to tolerate it anymore. And so, they promote something or propose something that is questionable at best, but let's read about it. Ezra 10, verse 7 and 8. A proclamation was issued throughout Judah and Jerusalem for all the exiles to assemble in Jerusalem. Exiles. Anyone who failed to appear three days would forfeit all of his property in accordance with the the decision of the officials and the elders And would himself be expelled from the assembly of the exiles. 
Okay, I'm going to say something. I just can't pass it up. Okay, you think vaccine mandates are tough? How about this one right there? Okay, how about this one? Because you know what he was proposing? We're going to take your land and we're going to kick you out if you don't divorce your foreign wives and get rid of your foreign children. Wow. Now, you think that's not like a real favorable thing to get people to come to church, right? Oh, what do I have to do to become a member? Well, divorce your, <laughs> your spouse and get rid of your children. Now, for some of you, that would be like, wow, why wasn't I following God later, earlier, you know? This is wonderful. But you talk about, I mean, so in theory, they could be right because they're saying, look, this is why God is not blessing us. This is why we had problems in the first place. And if we're going to get things right, we've got to get it right, right and, and keep it that way. Here's a note. As we study Scripture, stories were given to us and given to those original readers for the purpose of teaching lessons to let them know how God worked in a particular time and environment and people. It doesn't mean that everything that they did was right. Some have criticized them heavily for this because we know in Scripture that God says He hates divorce. He didn't want that. And yet, they felt this was very important. Here's, here's, here's a point. We follow Scripture. We follow God in constant imperfection. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We can look back and say, well, that was, you know, they should have been nicer and been more inclusive to people, and maybe they wouldn't have made so many enemies, and maybe, 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 whatever, whatever. But I, we're not them. It's easy to criticize People 10, 15, 20, 100 years in the past. It's easy. But we're not taking into account of exactly the culture and everything that were, they were going through and everything they had experienced. And you and I, believe it or not, 10, 15, 20 years from now, will be judged by a whole different group and generation who will say, how can they be so blah, 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 blah. All right? Fine. Just settle in your heart that you're making mistakes as you're going. Okay? You are making mistakes as you're following Christ. Okay? You are. But we learn to live with that, don't we? Because you, you, you start out and you think you apply a scripture and I'm getting things right, things are getting really good, but then all of a sudden you find yourself making more mistakes or something, a correction that you make all of a sudden causes more problems. Anybody ever experienced that? Solve a problem, fix something, and then you find out the fix for that causes 10 more extra problems. And I'm not saying that to give anybody an excuse. I'm saying that because that is reality. Boom. Mic drop. Boom. That's reality. That's where we live. And God has made provisions for that, my friends. God had made provisions. So, another leader appears. Now, originally when this was written, 
Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. Chapter divisions, the divisions of books came much, much, much later. So another guy arises who's in the court of Artaxerxes. His name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah has a burden for the walls of the city. In fact, you can go to Jerusalem today, and, and they've unearthed walls from that period during the time of Nehemiah that were built. It's not as <laughs> fortified and as strong, but yet they are there. The work that he did is still there. So, verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 4. You have a couple of people who are sort of ringleaders of those who are not the exiles, those who had occupied the land and didn't like it that they got rejected, okay, from the Israelites, from the exiles, as they're called here. And one was a guy by the name of Sanballat. When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews. He said, <clears throat> in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those Heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, They are rebuilding. They are building even a fox. Okay, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stone. So they're, they're total jerks about this. Okay? So we could say, you know, those who say, Well, they should have been nicer to, you know, Sanballat and Tobiah. Maybe they would have. No, look. They were jerks already, long before anybody else came along. Hear, hear us, our God, for we are despised. This is what they said. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Some may be looking at churches in this country and other places as weakened it's an old, outdated thing, superstitious for stupid people. And we know by all of our advancements in technology and science that it's just, it's so feeble. It's so weak. Even a fox could knock your faith down. I'm not talking about Fox News. I'm just saying that even a fox. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> anyway, so they said, God, don't let us be moved by their insults. Don't let us be moved by their criticism, but you strengthen us, which is good for us. You can hear the comments. You can hear the statements. You can see what's going on, but our prayer should be, God, strengthen us in our cause because it's a worthy cause. And here's what happened. In, in chapter 8, a revival began to take place. The walls were built. You had the temple. And then they had a public reading and things began to change. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. That, we're not talking about President Nixon or any of that. Okay, 
They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, the Torah, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Nehemiah 3, uh, 8, 3. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And in verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. If you want to know why we have a pulpit, if you want to know why we preach the Word of God, this is one of the, the instances that gives us an example of what to do. It's because God has given us a record, things written down about His activity with His people and what He expects and requires and wants for His people. And from time to time, it must be expounded, it must be opened up, the plain meaning of the text should be made simple and readily available for every person so that they can, we can understand what God wants us to do. Think, well, why do we read the Bible? Because of that. Because we have to constantly be reminded or educated in the things of God. It's not just a rule book. It is it is so much more. It's an account of God working within human beings with a plan specifically through a group to and toward for the whole world itself. And so things got in order. Things are being built. Activity, something that would seem somewhat normal, begins to take place. And what do they do? They said, bring us the law of God and we want to hear it. And so they did it. They read all day and the people heard and they understood. And then something happened. Okay. Then um, verse 9 of chapter 8. The Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy, and the Lord your God, for the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. That there's, there's something powerful and amazing about reading the Scripture. There's something about hearing God's Word expounded that can touch you in your heart if your heart isn't completely cold. Okay? It, there's something about that that God can reach in by the power of His Holy Spirit and they realize, oh, this is what God has wanted. Oh, this is the direction that I've been going. Oh, God. That's when real repentance and good things begin to come out of stuff like that. But, but they said, look, stop crying. This is a holy day unto the Lord. Nehemiah said, go enjoy this choice food, the sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to your God. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here at New Covenant, we have a practice, 
a feast that we call every year. It's right near Thanksgiving, and we've called it, what is it called? The Feast of Pies. And if you didn't know where it came from, it comes from here. This is the passage. I think in the, in the old King James it says, eat the sweet, the fat, drink the fat. I mean, how wonderful is that? Can you imagine that? Everybody who was dieting in Jerusalem. What? What did he say? He said, well, the calories don't count. Bring on the cookies. Why? Because there should be a joy and a relaxing before God in His presence when people are listening to His Word and people are, are caring about what God has to say and seeking to follow what He wants from them. There is a sense that God says, okay, relax. You like that? Church houses were known as sanctuaries for many years. I grew up, when we talked about the church, we talked about the sanctuary. And we're going to be using that language for this place as well. In talking to folks who say that, man, they're experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of things going on in the world, we just can't get away from hearing. But in here, we can relax, breathe, worship God, listen to His Word, take it in. Be refreshed and let the cares of the world meet you sometime afterwards. But I want you to know, my friends, that God has given us a place to let our hair down before Him and to be who you are. You don't have to defend anything about who you are and what you believe here, period. This is not that kind of place. Churches are a place of blessing of God, a place of comfort many would call home. And so it was with his people. Then all the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this day is holy. Do not grieve. And then all the people went back to eat and to drink and send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. You see, that's, that's the good stuff. You know, someone would say, you're offending God. You say, how do I know that I'm offending God? Well, I'm going to read to you. And you go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Or, you know, that you're pleasing to God. You're doing what God wants you to do. How would I know that? Well, we have Scripture. We have the, the truth of God's Word to tell us. You see, folks, whether we're in a time where everything's flourishing and wonderful or we're in a time that is a, is a challenging time of rebuilding, the benefits and the joy of being with the Lord in the place that He wants you to be, oh, come on. That's, that's the good stuff. That's the sweet. That's the fat. That's the, the stuff that's made to enjoy, and we should relax and take great joy in that. If you're hard, having a hard time finding great joy in what's going on in the world right now, any of you just so happy, like every time you hear the news? How, who's happy? You're like, oh, wait, honey, the news is on. Bring in the kids. We need to hear something good. 
don't. In fact, it's funny. I told a friend this week I was uh, this week past weekend. I you know I I got in the car, and I I went to the gas station and prices were really high. I got went inside and half of the shelves were empty in this convenience store. And so then I had to go make a trip to the grocery store and a lot of things were missing that were normal. And then for some weird reason, I had it in my mind, I'm going to go to Taco Bell. Sorry. I guess I had this verse in mind. Anyway, I get in line there, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm waiting 15 minutes. There's just two cars in front of me, so I pull into the parking spot and go look out in the, in the window. There's only one person in there. And I thought, okay, I'm driving off. Come to church, go through everything. Next uh, Monday morning, I'm listening to the news, and someone says, well, people know what's going on. I mean, paying higher gas prices. You know, you go into a convenience store, the, the shelves are half empty, you go to the grocery store, and you can't even get a Taco Bell when you want it, a taco at Taco Bell. And I felt, Ugh. I felt like I was in the beginning of a really bad movie, right? Like, what's going on? Well, the good news of all of that is that God knows how to take care of those who call upon His name, and we can get excited about his plan, okay, his plan, his people, his way. And anybody can call upon his name and be saved. Now, here's the bad news. Chapter 13 comes along, and we find that Nehemiah had gone off back to Babylon. He had gone back to his post and made a trip to come back and see how things are going. And this is what he found. Tobiah had bought... Uh, used, uh, rented a room in the temple to store his grain. Tobiah was an enemy. It was in the disarray, okay? People had forgot the Sabbath. He had noticed that all of these merchants were coming in and out of the city with, with all of their goods on the Sabbath, a day that had been set aside to rest and to do no work in Israel. And then he, he saw that there were a lot of folks who were married to, to folks who were not from that country whose children spoke different languages, okay? And he said, God, help me in this. I tried. You see, people in and of ourselves find it very hard to follow and complete the commands of God. That's a sad statement about humanity, that, but it's true, isn't it? It's not that easy. There's something in us. But what we find from Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel and other places that, that God had wanted to put a new heart in His people, and He promised this Messiah who would come, who would give His people the ability to do so, to serve God from the heart and to be forgiven for their sins and to constantly be made new in relationship to Him. And that's why we shout Jesus from the mountaintops because 
Though they understood it was impossible to do, and though you understand and you think that you know, you've, you've failed enough to realize without God's help, you're not going to get it right. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. That's the truth. Now, it would seem that it was a sad ending, but that, that, that isn't the end. Did they get it wrong in their relationship with other people? Maybe, but at the time, it may have been completely necessary. But there would come a day when he would say, through you, all of the people of the earth will be blessed. And that would be with the coming of Jesus Christ himself. And so, if you want to please God, if you want to get things right, you look around and you see things that are going on in the world and you're like, man, i got to straighten up. Jesus will get you there. Jesus will bring you joy. Jesus will give you abilities that go beyond yourself. And when you blow it, he will give you the forgiveness that you need to get back up and keep going. That's what it's going to take to make it through a hard time. But we know from experience, that it's, it's worth it. Our only choice is to either continue on faithfully accepting the challenge of the day or give up. If we're being honest, sometimes we'd like to just give up, wouldn't we? It would feel easier. But we know that that isn't what God called us to do. God hasn't called you to say, my Christianity was so strong that when things got tough, I just gave up. It's too much. Don't let that be the case. Lean into it and watch what God will do. That's your only choice. Father, thank you for our time together. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for your goodness in our lives. And Lord, I just want to just pray that, that you would speak to hearts this morning, that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, that, that they would open their heart to you today and get that relationship right. In fact, if there's anybody here this morning who says, man, I want to know Jesus, just lift up your hand. Nobody's looking around. I'm the only one looking because I want to pray for you. Just briefly, just lift up your hand. I would love to pray for you. Anybody here? All right. Well, Lord, we pray that you would bless those who are here in attendance. You bless those who are watching online, Lord. That, Lord, we would get excited about what you're doing in this time of trial for the whole world. We pray for our leaders, God. We pray for that they would have wisdom, that they would be convicted by your Spirit, Lord, that, that those who seem so recalcitrant and hardened by their own politics, that they, could, they themselves could be moved by your Spirit. Pray for people watching. Lord, pray for this congregation, people who are here today, that you wouldn't give us, that we wouldn't maintain or adopt a spirit of fear, but a sound mind. Lord, a hearty spirit toward you. Oh, Lord, we pray you'd use us. 
Use us for your glory, for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.